We are glad to make all of our Jcast Network podcasts free for our listeners. However, they are not free to produce and host. Please consider making a donation to Jcast Network to help support our work by visiting jcastnetwork.org slash donate. Thanks for your support. You are listening to Pop Torah with Rabbi Iznopf and Olitsky, a Jcast Network podcast. For more information about other Jcast Network podcasts, please visit jcastnetwork.org. Welcome to Pop Torah, the podcast where we talk about pop culture from a Jewish point of view and uh, talk about Judaism through the lens of pop culture. I am Rabbi Michael Knopf. And I am Rabbi Jesse Olitsky. And today we are talking about the new HBO series, The Righteous Gemstones, starring uh, Danny McBride uh, as a uh, televangelist, a megachurch pastor named uh, Jesse Gemstone, uh, co-starring Jesse Gemstone's father, the patriarch of the family, Dr. Eli Gemstone, uh, in, what can you say about John Goodman? Uh, Always uh, a joy to watch, uh, always great. Uh, And uh, rounding out the cast, is uh, Adam Devine uh, as uh, little brother, Pastor Kelvin Gemstone, uh, and uh, Edie Patterson as uh, little sister, Judy Gemstone, uh, who uh, doesn't get to be in the family ministry, uh, always is vying for her place in the family ministry, but is, uh, because uh, she is a woman, uh, relegated to a secretarial role uh, uh, in this family um, of uh, of a very conservative, or at least... uh, um, feigning conservatism uh, uh, for for the flock um, of this uh, this family of uh, of gemstones. This is um, in some uh, senses a, a, a series about religion, which is one of the reasons we wanted to talk about it. Um, it's also a, a family uh, comedy and a family drama in some ways, uh, where it talk where it shows the the dynamics of uh, of this family in various levels of its functionality uh, and. Um, uh, it opens up uh, uh, after the death of uh, Eli's beloved wife and, and really partner. Um, uh, and so we'll, we later in the series meet uh, um, uh, his brother-in-law, uh, his wife's uh, uh, baby brother, whose name is uh, Baby Billy, also a, a pastor in the kind of like Billy Graham uh, mold, played by uh, really the great Walter Goggins. Uh, Walton Goggins, excuse me, uh, and uh, and so uh, this is a, a story about uh, a, a series about pastors who um, uh, who pastor uh, a uh, an incredibly large church, uh, series of church network of churches uh, to uh, thousands upon thousands of people, uh, and uh, and make a lot of money doing it. Um, and uh, sometimes it seems that the making of the money is the point of doing it to them. Uh, and uh, so uh, one of the one of the themes that the series uh, brings up quite a bit uh, and explores um, is uh, is the way um, money and wealth uh, dominates uh, this church, dominates uh, faith, and and dominates this family. Uh, and in some senses, uh, the way celebrity does as well, uh, and uh, how. Uh, uh, fame and fortune uh, impact and influence uh, the, uh, the the work of this uh, family of preachers, um, and uh, and so uh, Jesse, that's that's really where I want to open up the conversation first uh, is um, about this theme of the business of religion that the righteous gemstones uh, really brings up, and, and I wonder, it, you know, as a religious leader. Um, as uh, a congregational leader, um, uh, what your thoughts are on uh, what the show says about the business of religion, uh, and uh, and and what might be a Torah perspective that we can that we can put to that conversation? Yeah, it's a really good question, Mike. Um, as any Danny McBride show, the intention, of course, is as a dark comedy to poke fun. At religion, poke fun at mega churches, and to uh, poke fun of organized religion. Um, yeah, and I'll just I'll just pause you there for a second to say that um, if you love Danny McBride, chances are good you will love this show. If you're a little bit on the fence about Danny McBride, uh, you know his aspect of the show you may not like quite as much. But there's a lot uh, to, uh, to to commend the show 
uh, Danny McBride or not. Um, and, and it's also a good point, Jesse, to add that we're going to talk about uh, this show um, without leaving out any details. So if you haven't watched the show and you don't want any spoilers, uh, pause the podcast now. Uh, and uh, pick it up after you watch the first four episodes, uh, which is all we've uh, seen, all that's been released by HBO, um, because there will likely be spoilers in the conversation. Absolutely. Spoiler warning. Proceed with caution. The first episode begins uh, after returning from a mass baptism, uh, and we see right away these three private jets, um, humorously uh labeled the father the son and the holy spirit but it really speaks to this prosperity gospel narrative this mega church narrative where these uh pastors who are so interested in making money ask for donations and they ask those who are impoverished those who are on a very tight budget to donate to the church and in turn as a result they'll be rewarded with wealth their idea of god will reward them with wealth and all that ends up happening is that these parishioners are further struggling to make ends meet and are further padding the pockets of the pastors of these mega churches john oliver on his hbo show last week tonight uh poked fun at the prosperity gospel last season it's deeply troubling uh, because it seems that they're only interested in making money. Uh, they're interested in uh, collecting money at church services and then not declaring it to the IRS. The most recent episode talks about the business operation and all the money that is collected uh, and kept in cash, never even deposited uh, into a bank because if it's not deposited into a bank, they don't need to declare it. And it really makes people skeptical of organized religion because it seems that they're only interested in business aspect. I mean, I don't know about you, Mike, but in all my time working in synagogues, uh, we've uh, never uh, been uh, flaunting how much money we make because we aren't making money. Right? We're trying to make sure that the, the uh, revenue meets the expenses but trying to make sure that whatever money is made uh, is going back into programming and going back into meeting the needs and serving the needs of the congregation and community. So this idea of making money so that they can build another mansion or drive a Maserati uh, or what have you is deeply troubling. And it seems to go against all that we believe uh, religion uh, says and all that we believe religion teaches um it's in mishle it's in proverbs chapter 22 where it says that uh that humility uh true humility is yurat adonai is having an awe of god and that leads to uh life it leads to honor uh and it really leads to wealth uh but perkei avod also teaches us that what is true wealth uh who is rich one who is happy with their portion, one who's happy with what they have. So I think the problem initially is a misunderstanding of wealth in this world of organized religion, that it's actually not about material goods, not about uh, material possessions, not about making money for the church, but it's about seeing the blessings all around you and being happy with what you have. Uh, my issue is how such antics by these televangelists turn people off from organized religion entirely and it makes our job that much harder so mike my question for you is what is our role as rabbis as clergy as jewish communal professionals um how do we respond when so much of religion that people see is hypocritical it seems that the actions of these mega church pastors are directly opposed with the ethics and values that our Torah, that scripture teaches us? It's a really great question, Jesse. I mean, I, I think that, you know, ultimately my answer is that the response to bad religion has to be good religion. But I think that we also, you know, should be uh, honest about, you know, the, the, the roots of, uh, of, of some of these um, corrupt tendencies, you know, within, within our, our very tradition, you know, as, as you were, as you were proof texting all, 
all wonderful and true in my from my perspective texts about um, uh, about humility and about uh, um, uh, you know, not worshiping at the idol of, of materialism. Um, you know, we also have we also have texts that um, uh, you know, for example, we you know texts in the Torah uh, from the theological perspective. You know that 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 really kind of founds the prosperity gospel that like. That if you do good, right? If you if you do good deeds, uh, then God will reward you. Maybe even reward you, you know, double, triple, quadruple uh, what you've given. Um, I was actually just reading uh, a book uh, put out um, by an Orthodox uh, uh, Jewish publisher, um, uh, an illustrated guide to the guide to the laws of Shabbos, um, and and it uh, and it cited in there and cited lots of sources that said this, right? That uh, that you know. Uh, whatever you give to Shabbat will be repaid, you know, double or triple, right? So, you know, so if I if I um, if I spend you know a thousand dollars making a, a beautiful Shabbat dinner, uh, then I can expect in you know in the weeks to come uh, to to recoup you know three thousand uh, dollars because of it. So you know we have this idea with within our tradition that you know that 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 good is repaid with good um there's also of course ideas within our tradition that uh, that there isn't that direct and linear connection um between the good that we do uh and the material good that we we receive and i think so i think part of it is 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 owning the the sources um uh, in in our tradition that uh, that could be read in a particular direction and, and say um you know we're, we're deliberately choosing to um, uh, to, to emphasize within our tradition um, a different strand, um, which is uh, that um, uh, that you know while uh, God has placed us in a material world uh, and, uh, and and permits us to utilize and benefit from the resources of this material world, um, that we are called to uh, transcend the temptations in a lot of senses of of that material world. Um, uh, to, um, to to benefit uh, each other, uh, and because there there is so much corrupting influence um, uh, of of that world. So I think that that's um, I think that that's uh, uh, important. It's also you know important to recognize that uh, within the biblical narrative, right? Uh, you know, uh, people are commanded to tithe, and who do those tithes go to? Those tithes go to uh, the religious leaders, right? The Levites and and the priests. Um, so you know, and then there's and then there's a you know whole sections of the of the Torah that deal with uh, the 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 giving um, toward the construction of the tabernacle and later in later in the Bible the the temple um, and you know I, I was as I was watching um, uh, that scene in the righteous gemstones where you could see all the money coming in from people's uh, uh, prayers and pledges. Um, and they're, you know, counting it in those machines that count money and whatever. I was like, I was like, I, I could just like, le- like benefit from, you know, like, like, you know, a, a tenth of a tenth of, uh, of, of what they're taking in to like, you know, uh, cover our, uh, our deficit here. That would be just really wonderful because I don't need to make a profit. Um, uh, it would just like help to like be able to pay the electric bill. Um, that would be really nice. But it reminded me of, um, that, uh, scene in the, in the Torah where, uh, Moses is asking the people to build the tabernacle and they give so many donations that he has to tell them to stop. Right. And, uh, and that I think is also, I think, a, you know, a religious principle that, uh, that, that what we're obligated to do as religious leaders is say, you know, we should only take in what we need in order to, uh, enable ourselves to do the work and serve the people and no more. Right. Um, so I, I think that that's really important. And I think that um, uh, that that that's one of the answers to the kind of, you know, prosperity religion and the um, and the emphasis on on wealth and accumulation that uh, that's unfortunately found uh, in, in so much of this kind of like televangelism and megachurch uh, industry. Um, that's that's really exploitative and for the uh, benefit of uh, of of the leaders and, and not for the. Um, religious needs of the parishioners, but um, and I think Mike, that really speaks to um, the difference between giving a donation to community and giving a donation where the benefit goes directly to the religious leaders, right? The the prosperity gospel, it's the uh, pastors who are the ones who are driving uh, the uh, 
$100,000 cars who are the ones who are living in the mansions. Uh, that's very different than giving to uh, a capital campaign of a church or, or a synagogue to help build the community institution that everybody in the community can benefit from. And I hear you, this this theological idea that we find in Torah that says, uh, if you give, you will be rewarded, uh, you know, you will be rewarded in turn uh, a greater amount than you yourself gave. Uh, there's a great story in the Talmud in Kedushin 39b uh, because it's a response to uh, two teachings. There are two laws that we find in the Torah, the only two laws where your reward is long life. One is honoring your parents, and the other we find in Parsha Kitetze, which is to shoo away the mother bird before you take her eggs. And the story in, in the Talmud speaks about a parent telling his child to climb up on top of a building, to shoo away a mother bird, and get the eggs, get the fledgings, the, or the baby birds, for his father. And this child does so, and in turn should be doubly rewarded, he shoes away the mother bird and he's honoring his father, but in climbing down from the building, he falls and dies. And so mm -hmm. the rabbis ask, how is it possible that he's not rewarded when he does both? And their response is, well, the reward comes in uh, the world to come and Olam Haba uh, in this rabbinic theological idea of afterlife. And part of that is because they can't understand how could we live in a world where you're not rewarded for your actions, you're not rewarded for giving, but it's quite possible that the reward comes from the act itself. It's not a material reward that is focused on in the prosperity gospel. It's not you're rewarded with money, you're rewarded with goods, you're rewarded with mansions, uh, but you're rewarded by having the opportunity to give and seeing the satisfaction that comes from giving and doing what is right. Yeah, I think that that's that's a really great story to bring up for for the for what we're talking about here because um, I love the way um, Milton Steinberg uses that story in his uh, great novel as a driven leaf um, as the source for um, Alicia Benabuya's rejection of faith and rejection of religion. Right, this this sense that you know that religion that religion is a lie. Right. And the people who are teaching it are liars. Right. And and um, I think that that's sort of what you're getting to uh, earlier about the the you know, the, the response that people have in our mo modern uh, era. I think that the understandable natural response to the kind of religion uh, that is uh, offered uh, by uh, the prosperity gospel preachers, by uh, by by this kind of this kind of strand of a fundamentalist Christianity um, and fundamentalism in general, I would say, in some respects, right? That you know, that is um, theologically problematic for all of those reasons, and also has so often the the uh, the air of corruption, right? Where you see people who who profess to be um, such fervently religious people, and yet um, are exposed time and again um, to be you know so so corrupt, um, uh, you know, and and. Um, there, there's um and I wonder if you could talk about this a little bit you know there's um uh, a uh, uh, a line of argumentation that that I hear very often especially among the new atheists that it's religion itself that is the source of corruption right that that religion generates pedophile priests and religion generates um, uh, corrupt pastors and religion generates um, uh, fundamentalist ideologues and uh, and and terrorists, right? And um, and and so how do we how do we uh, push back against that narrative um, of uh, of of what you know religion uh, of the of the bad things that are produced by religion? It's a great question. Um, I think first of all we have to understand that religion is subjective. Torah is subjective. You know. Our perspective, or at least my perspective, is that scripture is not set in stone. If we believe that Torah is a tree of life, that means our understanding of Torah evolves. We have the opportunity and obligation to say that this is what Torah believes, and it's up to each of us who believes it to doing that which is right and that which is good, uh, to helping our fellow, to loving our neighbor, um, to 
welcoming the stranger to seeing everybody being made uh, as being made in God's image, uh, we have the obligation to say that that is religion and then that is Torah. Um, you said earlier, Mike, that the response to bad religion must be good religion. Uh, for those who preach hate and for those who practice hypocrisy, uh, we need to respond with a religion of love, with a religion of justice, with a religion of uh, righteousness, with a religion of thanksgiving and giving to those who are more vulnerable and uh, less fortunate than we are. Uh, so, so I think that that's number one. Go ahead. Sorry, sorry. But I also think that uh, we need to respond by rethinking what religion is in general. You know, there are all these studies about millennials, which technically you and I are a part of um, that demographic, although we're on the very far end of the millennial generation, this generation that sociologists call Generation Me, right? After Generation X and Y and Z, there's Generation Me and, and looks at millennials who are not interested in the future. Millennials are not investing in retirement plans. They are going on vacation. Millennials are uh, not giving to Jewish Federation or to synagogues. They are not belonging to institutions that they don't participate in because they believe that is their obligation. They are only investing in things that they get something out of. Uh, and there are all these studies that say that their parents, the boomer generation, uh, found much more meaning in religion than they do. And yet these same studies say that they are way more spiritual than the boomer generation. Uh, and it's because they see spirituality and a connection to God, however they define God or wrestle with God as meaningful, but that they also cast doubt on organized religion because of the actions of uh, right the prosperity gospel, because of those things that are poked fun of in the righteous gemstones, right? The whole idea that it's called the righteous gemstones uh, <laughs> speaks to uh, the, the hypocrisy of these religious leaders that there's nothing righteous about their actions, not just the stealing of funds and not reporting it to the IRS, but also one of the main themes of the show is Jesse Gemstone, Danny McBride's character, uh, trying to pay off which leads to killing, actually, uh, some blackmailers who are blackmailing him because they caught on video him having sexual relationships with prostitutes and doing lines of cocaine and all this stuff. Things that you would think this righteous pastor would not be doing. Yeah, it's so interesting. I mean, I, I, my, to your last point, I had a slightly different read of the show, you know, like uh, that... Um, Especially Adam, you know, the, especially Adam Devine's character Kelvin. Like the, he, he may be at least at this moment in the series, he may be the one righteous person in the in the show. Right? He he seems to be um, like a like an earnest, uh, true believer. He's he's the one person that we've seen, you know, that has actually, uh, uh, you know, somewhat humorously. There's certainly you know some kind of like a homoerotic sexual tension. Uh, that's that's present there, but he's turned someone's life around. Um, this character Keith, played by uh, uh, Tony Cavallaro, uh, who's who's a really hilarious character. And he's got this mullet and uh, a six 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 tattoo across his chest from when he used to be a Satan worshiper. And the last episode, he was walking down the street uh, eating an ice cream cone, uh, really fun in really funny ways. Just a really funny image. But um, but you know, so uh, th there is a passion that he has for. Um, for bringing people to Jesus, you know, and, and we can talk about the, the, you know, our, our challenges with that theology and, and whatever, but, but at the very least, like he, you know, is trying to, it seems like at least at times he's trying to help people. There's an earnestness about him that, that certainly isn't there for, for Jesse. Um, and, and we don't know everything about Eli's motivations, although it, it does seem that in some ways um, he, you know, there's an aspect you could read his desire to take over the other you know local churches as pure business right it's capitalism right we want to eat your lunch um could also be theology right that uh um that that i believe my brand of christianity like i want to win followers not only to pad my pockets uh, but because i believe that my version of christianity 
um, is the right one and people are straying when they're following your version of Christianity. So there's, I mean, that's obviously problematic theologically, um, but it's not necessarily corrupt in the same way as if it were pure capitalism. So I think the jury's still out to me um, about that. But um, but I think that what what at the core, I think, of what you're bringing up, Jesse, is, is, a, is I think, a really, really meaty and interesting question, which is, you know, um, does religion make people better people, right? And, um, you know, uh, uh, does spirituality make people better people, right? And, and, um, cause I think that they're, you know, to the, to the people who, who argue that, that religion, you know, is the source of corruption and the source of evil and the source of terrorism. I think that there are plenty of good arguments and good examples, uh, uh, uh um, to make against that. Um, but I think, uh, a, a different argument is that, you know, that, that religion is in some sense, you know, um, irrelevant to, uh, to the formation of moral character, uh, and virtue within a person. Right. And so for that, you can point to, which I think millennials see, right. Which is what I think part of what explains the, you know, the, the phenomenon of, of, uh, of, of being, you know, affiliating with no religion, but yet considering yourself uh, in some way spiritual is the sense that, um, that, you know, one does not need religion to be a good person. And simultaneously, there are people who claim to be religious who are clearly not good people. So I wonder, you know, if that's the case, you know, is it that the people who claim to be religious and are not good people are just not doing religion right? Um, is it that the people who claim to be good, but not religious, um, are they actually not good because they're not religious? Like, how, how would you sort all that out, Jesse? You know, it's a challenging question because I'll take it a step further. Uh, as a rabbi, um, I think religion is important. I find specific meaning and unique meaning in Judaism, right? So all the more so it's what makes uh, Judaism unique and meaningful, not just religion in general, because uh, Western religions, Judaism, Christianity, Islam is so different than Eastern religions, Shintoism, Buddhism. Uh, what makes uh, each faith unique? And then break it down into further, what makes religious denominations and sects and movements in each faith unique? Uh, to me, if a religion does not equal striving to be a good person, or I would add striving to be a better person and striving to be the best person, uh, the best version of yourself, then what's the point of religion, right? So religion is our covenant with God. It's our attempt to wrestle with God, our attempt to be God's partners in creation, God's messengers in this world. And if that answer isn't striving to make this world a better place, if that answer isn't striving to be the best version of ourselves, if that answer isn't striving to see God in one another, then what are we doing? You're correct that we could be good people without finding meaning in religion or without having religion in our lives, but what is the basis of that goodness? To me, the basis of that goodness is the divine spark within each of us. And that's what makes religion so important and so relevant. We need to respond, as you said, to bad religion with good religion. We need to respond to those who use religion to justify hate or bigotry or evil with that which is love and kindness uh, and goodness and help people understand that that is what religion is supposed to be, uh, not the... Uh, corruption uh, of religion or taking hostage of verses of scripture that some do to try to justify their hate and hypocrisy. Yeah, I, I think about it um, in this way. You know, my, my teacher, Rabbi Sharon Browse, um, gave a sermon a, a few years ago that that's always that stuck with me uh, called Fire on the Mountain. And, and you can Google it if you want, you know, write uh, Sharon Browse, B-R- O-U-S, uh, Fire on the Mountain. Um, you can listen to it, probably read it too. Because, um, you know, it's just, it's always a treat to listen to Sharon preach. But um, what, what she, she used this image, which I think was not original to her. She said that, um, uh, that 
that that the core of religious experience and expression is like fire, right? That's the divine spark that you're talking about. That's that's this uh, uh, the, the sense of the sacred, um, of the transcendent, of uh, something uh, uh, of something greater than ourselves, and something that's deepest within ourselves, um, which is in some sense uh, a, a commanding voice, right? It's it it it's what guides us. Um, to uh, uh, make the most of our lives and, and uh, uh, bring the most meaning to our lives and, and connect to each other and, and do the most good. Um, and uh, that to capture that experience, um, we create structures, we create uh, texts and traditions and rituals uh, to, uh, to, uh, to communicate uh, and to transmit uh, and to hold onto that fire, right? So she talks about like uh, fire, like lava, uh, uh, hardening into rock, right, and making a mountain. But the the challenge is that um, if all you have is the rock, right, all you have is the vessel, uh, then um, and you don't have any of the fire anymore. You don't have the, if you if you lose track of the core experience that created that ritual or that idea, that text, that tradition in the first place, um, then you're then, then you're just transmitting a hollow shell. Um, it, uh, it's devoid of meaning. It's devoid of value. Um, it's, uh, it's, it's rigid and unstructured and, and maybe even harmful, right? You could throw a rock at somebody and, and hurt them. Um, uh, but also, you can't just hold the fire, right? Like, you try to hold, you know, a, a, a pool of lava and your hands will melt off, right? So, you, so in some ways, you need that, uh, that, that, uh, that vessel to, to transmit it. So, you, so what she was arguing, I think, really beautifully is that you need both. I, you might even think of it as, like, body and soul, right? So, um, so the, the soul of religion is, you know, the, the essence of it, right? What people might call spirituality, right? Or, or, or morals or ethics, um, but what religion offers, I think, uniquely um, is a, a system for, uh, for, for handling that, those core values and, and teachings and, and uh, receiving them from previous generations and transmitting them to future generations and, and maintaining them as, as part of your life. So, you know, so that there's uh, not only the soul of religion, but also a body cont to contain it, I, I, you know, and um, uh, a, a body without a soul um, is just an empty shell, but a soul without a body is just vapor, right? It's just a ghost. You can't hold on to it. So in some ways, um, you, you need both of those things. I see in, you know, in the Righteous Gemstones, and one of the things I think they're satirizing is that, you know, the, um, the Gemstones church has all the trappings of religion, right? Um, has, you know, it has services, it has prayer, you know, people look really religious, um, but it has none of the none of the soul of religion, right? Uh, with with a few exceptions that you know, glimmers that you might see um, of of how some of the characters relate to the to spirituality, or certainly of ethics in in their life. Um, that uh, um, you know it has all the trappings of religion, but none of the essence of religion. But one of the crit critiques I would give to kind of like spirituality without religion is that it might have the essence of religion, uh, but, uh, but none of the ability to actually um, relate to that in the context of community, to share it with other people, to transmit it over time. And yet, Mike, why do you think um, as religious institutions all over the country uh, are struggling? Uh, we see this certainly in the American Jewish community. Synagogues are merging. Um, uh, synagogues and churches are having trouble getting people to show up in the pews uh, for Sabbath services, and yet thousands of people flock to these mega churches, to these prosperity gospel churches every Sunday. Uh, w there's a paradox there. Yeah, I I agree. Um, uh, so I I'll take the I'll take the former right over the. Oh, the former point that you make over the latter, you know, Heschel, Rabbi Abraham Joshua Heschel, um, uh, pointed this out uh, half a century ago, you know, where he said, you know, it's, it's, it's customary. He talked about it, uh, uh, um, in relation to, to science. Um, he says, you know, it's customary to blame science for the decline of religion. Uh, but, uh, but really religion should be, um, 
should be blamed for its own demise, for its own decline. Uh, you know, religion has become uh, vapid. Uh, I think he said insipid, irrelevant, and dull. That it that that it's become a shell of itself. That it's become you know uh, um, a, a, an heirloom um, of what it once was, rather than the thing itself. Um, and and so you know, in some ways, I mean, there's there's you know a a, a whole range of kind of intersecting social phenomena that that uh, address the question that you raise, you know, and I'm only talking about a piece of it, but I think one of the pieces of the puzzle um, is that uh, people look at, especially mainline uh, 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 churches and synagogues, right? in other words, non, non-Orthodox, non-fundamentalist, uh, and, um, and they, what they like about them is that they're not fundamentalist. Right. But what they don't like about them and what they what seems irrelevant about them is that they um, is that they offer nothing of the spirit, uh, none of the none of the fire that's at the core of religion, uh, none of the ethical fire, none of the spiritual fire. Um, and so people say, well, what do I need this for? Right. On the other hand, um, uh, uh, the, the mega churches, um, I, I think uh, a lot of them uh, actually capture the fire. Right. And 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 believe in the fire. Right. So it's not all it's not all show in the gemstones. A lot of it is a show. I, I know megachurch pastors here who um, in, in Richmond who, who deeply believe what they're what they're teaching. And one of the things that's so compelling about them and their uh, and their houses of worship um, is that they they infuse those places um, with with that passion and, and that spirit. Um, that's something that is easier to do, I think, in a fundamentalist uh, approach to religion than it is in a more liberal approach to religion. And so that's one of the things that I think religion, liberal congregations and liberal clergy like myself struggle with is how do you simultaneously um, uh, uh, communicate and infuse everything you're doing with the with the passion that's at the core of religious experience while also have, in some sense, the dispassion that's required for liberal religion, that's a tricky balance to, to have. Um, uh, and so I think that, you know, one of the things that explains um, the success of, uh, of, of orthodoxy within Jewish tradition, uh, of fundamentalism within, within uh, American Christianity, um, is that they're able to um, uh, either simply communicate that passion if they don't really believe it, um, or, or, or the, the simpler explanation is that they, you know, is that they really believe what they're what they're offering, and people um, are attracted to um, to that kind of uh, conviction? What do you think? Yeah, I think people see an authenticity. To, yeah, that's a good word. Yeah, um, to right wing observance uh, of, of all faiths. Um, that's why you have plenty of people who may. Uh, belong to or go to uh, Shabbat or holiday services at Orthodox synagogues, although they themselves uh, don't uh, identify as Orthodox. They see it as authentic, uh, which is a problem for me because I I don't believe that to be authentic. Uh, I respect uh, uh, my Orthodox brothers and sisters and colleagues, but that's not the way I see Judaism and believe Judaism is meant to be practiced. I believe that Judaism evolves and Jewish law evolves, that religion influences society and society influences religion, uh, which is where I do think some of these mega churches find success is because their goal is also to modernize religion. The idea of having uh, big screens and bands um, in the busy worlds that we live in where our eyes are often blocked by uh, screens, right? That that's, we're often uh, busy on our phones or on our tablets. Uh, it's almost like our minds are constantly like walking through Times Square and seeing all these bright lights and big pictures. Uh, that's their answer is, all right, let's take that and put that in the framework of religion so that you have that experience in our house of worship where maybe the answer is to disconnect from all of that so that you could see that essence, you could find that soul, as you were talking about, within this vessel. Um, but but I think the reason why many houses of worship struggle is because they don't believe in modernizing. They don't believe in uh, evolving 
for lack of a better term, the product. Uh, the the analogy I often uh, like to use is the difference between Blockbuster and Netflix. Why did Blockbuster go out of business? Is because who wants to go out at night to a store to rent a physical copy of something uh, for more money than choosing that copy and having it mailed to your house originally, or now even better yet, sitting on your couch and streaming an entire library of those movies plus original content. Uh, it's a better product and Blockbuster didn't catch up to it. It's the same product. It's the same movie, uh, but a better way to offer that product. And, and I think uh, Blockbuster failed to adapt and failed to recognize that they had an outdated model and they ended up uh, going under. Uh, I think um, where these mega churches are successful, despite their hypocrisy of their pastors that's pointed out in Righteous Gemstones, is they offer a compelling product. And I think there is something to learn from that. There is something to the fact that um, students at the Ziegler School of Rabbinic Studies, where, where you went, are taken to check out mega churches in Los Angeles to see the product that they have to offer to understand different ways religion is expressed in houses of worship. Yeah, you know, it's 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 you're raising a really really interesting point. I mean, like you know, the the counter argument I think to the point is the success of of orthodoxy uh, within the Jewish modern modern Jewish community or like you know in contemporary Jewish life, uh, because in some ways what they offer is exactly the antithesis of that. Right, that we're we're not going to chase the trends. Uh, that we're we're you know we're we're not going to change the delivery system or the product. Uh, we're going to drill down on you know on on the way things always are, and people are going to gravitate um, to that authenticity. To use your word, um, but I but I think that your that that uh, that that your point is really well taken. That um, uh, that one of the Things that you know, and this is even true in you know some segments of, of orthodoxy within Judaism, especially of Chabad, is the recognition um, that the that the consumer has changed. Right, the heart may not have changed, but the uh, the human heart may not have changed. But the way people, um, but the you know the through line to the heart may may have changed. Um, the way people relate to the world has changed, um, and so the delivery system for the product um, uh, needs to change along with it. The challenge, I think, um, is you know, how to adapt with the times without being corrupted by the times, right? So, and I think that, um, uh, you know, and this was true, you know, and I went to Ziegler and, and, and went to the mega churches, and I don't think I really processed this uh, aspect of their appeal until watching the Righteous Gemstones, but seeing the Righteous Gemstones really kind of like put it um, in my face is I think one of the aspects of the of the appeal of a, of a church like the gemstones and, and, you know, and, and the prosperity gospel and television, right. Is that, um, is that the, the, the product, uh, and the delivery system of the product, um, is, um, uh, utilizes, uh, exploits in some way, the, the American obsession with, uh, with, with wealth and fame. Um, and, uh, and I would say, you know, fame, especially, right. And I think that's one of the, uh, driving um, psychological factors behind the rise of, of social media is that is that you know it, it gives an opportunity for everybody to be famous, um, and so uh, and so they're so they're they're utilizing that they're exploiting that, but in some ways they're they're corrupted by it because the church then becomes about um, how to use religion as a vessel for becoming rich and famous. Um, you know, it, it, it may not be so problematic to use wealth and fame as a vessel to bring religion to people, uh, but it is deeply problematic if religion becomes the the, the vessel for uh, helping people become or making people think they can become rich and famous. Right. And that's where the hypocrisy comes in. Yeah. Um, and I, you know, I, I worry about that. Uh, I worry about that in 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 the Jewish community um, too, and I think that you know the, the resistance of the legacy institutions to you know to in, in, you know to to change with the times um, is I think altruistic in that sense, right? That they that there's a that there's a an urge you know not uh, there's there, there's obviously a desire to reach 
the contemporary person, right? Uh, but there's but there's a reluctance to let the contemporary world uh, um, negatively influence the tradition that people that people love, and I think that navigating that tension is kind of at the core of um, the struggle that a lot of you know uh, legacy religious institutions um, are, are feeling right now. I think that's a good point. Why don't we turn to final thoughts about the show um, and lessons we can take from it? Yeah, do you want to start? Sure. Um, I, I think for me, uh, it's about um, really digging deep into what we believe religion to be, what we believe God wants from us, um, and taking away the trappings and taking away the bright lights, um, the commercialism of religion that is made fun of, uh, and instead focusing at the core, which is ultimately our relationship with God. Um, it's not always about blessing. We're supposed to wrestle with God. We are called B'nai Yisrael, the children of Israel, the children who also wrestle with the divine. That is what I believe our job and role as Jews are, is it's to wrestle. Um, it's not always about giving and thus we shall receive, but it's about wrestling and understanding that there are times in our lives when we feel blessing and there are times in our life when we feel heartache. There are times in our life when we laugh with God and cry with God and want to curse at God. Uh, but none of it should be, let's give a lot of money to the church and in, in turn we will be rich. Uh, it's a ebb and flow relationship. It's a partnership like two spouses. That is the covenant that we are in and that is the covenant that we re-enter this time of year each and every year at the high holidays. What about you, Mike? Yeah, I, I think that those are all really good points. I mean, I think that uh, to me, uh, one of the questions that the show raises is, you know, um, and I'm going to use uh, my teacher, Rabbi Erwin Kula's language uh, uh, for this, you know, what, what's the job that we hire religion to do? Um, uh, because in some ways, religion is, uh, is, is, a, is a tool that, uh, um, that, that we use to get a particular job done, right? And I think that the show, uh, The Righteous Gemstones, shows um, how corrupting religion can be if the job that we are hiring it to get done um, is, um, uh, is you know, uh, material well-being, um, uh, uh, you know, if, if the job were hired, if we had this sort of like transactional, um, uh, point of view on, on religion, uh, what I would say, you know, to me, the, the, um, uh, uh, this is my answer to this question today. My answer to this question might change on a different day. But my answer to this question today is, you know, what, what's, you know, what's the purpose of Judaism at least and the purpose of Judaism, um, uh, I think is expressed, you know, by by the Kabbalists in some way, by the by the mystics. It's l'shem yichud kucha brichud shchinte. To the purpose of religion is is unity. The purpose of religion is oneness. The purpose of religion um, is integrating um, our our mind, body, and soul, um, having internal harmony and well being, um, and also um, uh, 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 reaching out to, connecting with, supporting, lifting up. Um, uh, people uh, all around us, um, and you know the, the religion as it's presented in the Righteous Gemstones is is a very egocentric and self-serving uh, religion, uh, and I think that um, uh, that that religion, um, uh, as I understand it, um, is uh, is is meant to be um, in some ways exactly the opposite of that. Right? Is is meant to be about transcending. Uh, the self transcending self interest, um, and uh, in to use Heschel's words, right, uh, beholding things from God's point of view, um, and trying to uh, uh, bring the world more in in line with uh, the oneness that we believe about God, um, and uh, that's I think the challenge of uh, that's not just the challenge of religion in the 21st century. That's the challenge of religion in general, um, but in particular. In, in a in, in a world that is in some ways so connected and simultaneously so disconnected um, that where where we're we're you know we're um, we're closer and more divided than we've ever been before um, how do we um, uh, uh, bring religion to bear um, to, uh, to to foster uh, more connection uh, and more uplift 
um, uh, and, and more integration of ourselves individually um, and of the broader social fabric. So I think this nice. is a good this is a good time to uh, to uh, conclude the episode with um, uh, with what's popping for us this week. Uh, what what are you going for in the world of pop culture uh, besides the righteous gemstones these days, Jesse? I'm going to stick on the HBO theme because I started watching Righteous Gemstones. I decided to check out um, also what's on uh, right along with Righteous Gemstones uh, Succession. Uh, I did not watch season one, so I went back and started binging season one. And I'm a big fan of Succession, big fan of family tension and drama and dynamics. Uh, Brian Cox uh, is great as this uh, billionaire who's uh, maybe a Jeff Bezos type character, but uh, who's uh, really should step down and retire and pass on his company and legacy to his children, but is not yet ready to. And another reminder of when wealth gets in the way, which is also a connection between these two shows, uh, how that changes the family dynamic uh, between him and his children. What's popping for you, Mike? Um, I... Uh, and this is going to be a controversial choice, uh, but I really, really loved uh, the new Dave Chappelle uh, um, stand-up special on Netflix called uh, Sticks and Stones. I, I'm, I'm a huge Dave Chappelle fan. Um, I've, I've always loved him. Uh, there has been a lot of controversy around this particular special. Um, I think that, uh, that, that in many ways... Uh, he has courted that controversy. I think that that's in some ways the, the point that he was trying to make uh, by this special. Um, it is, that said, incredibly funny. I defy you uh, not to laugh your, you know, your tushy off uh, watching this special. Um, and um, I think uh, a lot of the controversial points that he raises um, are worthy of conversation. Uh, and in some ways, you know, he brings up things that are that that are now, especially in progressive circles, are, are are supposed to be forbidden conversations. We're supposed to not be allowed to be having these conversations anymore um, because there's a crystallized orthodoxy about what we're supposed to think about these things. Um, and I think that uh, uh, um, I appreciate the fact that he's trying to smash those sacred cows uh, and, uh, and 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 uh, open up um, uh, a more critical lens to some of the orthodoxies that we've that we've come to accept. Um, in a pretty, um, in a pretty rapid fire over the over the past few years. Great. Well, that's it for us uh, for today's episode of Pop Torah, and uh, we'll catch you next time. Take care.